Uh, we'll be turning to John chapter 4, the Gospel of John chapter 4. And if you're using the Bible provided for you, you'll find that text on page 888. And I'm so glad that was not page 666. <laughs> you know, the number of the resurrection in the Bible is the number 8. And 888 sure took care of 666, right? Right. If you're our guest, the last few weeks we've been involved in a series that we call Crossover, the Gospel of Reconciliation. And we've been focusing on two things in this series. First of all, that the great crossover took place by Jesus Christ, who crossed all of eternity, crossed over into time, and onto the cross by his death and his sacrifice. He made a way that we could cross over from our sin into salvation. Be reconciled with God. Peace could be made with God. That's the great message of the cross. That crossover. But we've also been talking about how we who are followers of Jesus must also be people of reconciliation. How can we accept a Savior who has crossed over all man-made boundaries crossed over our great gulf, separating us from God, crossed over to bring us salvation. How can we know the Savior and then we live in isolation? Or we let barriers separate us from our fellow man? Jesus knocked the walls down between us and God, and in Him and in His love, the walls should also come down. Walls should come down, not driven by political agenda, not driven by election, but driven by the love of God in our hearts to cross over all boundaries. I think this passage is going to be helpful for us to see that it is the resurrection that allows us to do that. Typically, we would stop a series and then have just an Easter message. That's been a practice we've done many times over the years here. But I, I felt this year that we should see how it is Easter that brings the great reconciliation. The cross is a symbol of hope for one reason, and that's because of an empty tomb. The cross would not be a symbol of hope. It would be a symbol of defeat. It would be a symbol of meaninglessness and hopelessness unless that cross experience of Jesus was followed by his glorious resurrection. And thank God that's exactly what happened. Because of that, we can know reconciliation. We can know peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has perfectly provided reconciliation between us and God, but here is what I want us to understand this morning. That reconciliation must be personally experienced. It must be perfect. Per, 
That perfect reconciliation must be personally experienced. And how does that happen, my friend? I want you to know it happens one person at a time. It happens one conversation at a time. Because Jesus crosses over by his spirit to this very day, he crosses over to have individual conversations with people about how they can know peace with God. So today, what I want us to do is listen to Jesus as he has a crossover conversation. And that's what we see in John chapter 4. Jesus having a conversation. Now, it's not polite for us to eavesdrop on a conversation. Sometimes we can't help ourselves. But here is a private conversation between two people, Jesus and a woman. And the Lord put it in his word so that for all time, people could know what was said in this conversation and they could understand this is how reconciliation between God and people takes place. Now, this conversation began in an uncomfortable way. <laughs> uncomfortable. And let's read about why this started as an uncomfortable conversation. Chapter 4 of John, beginning reading verse 1. It says, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day, especially the ultra-conservative leaders of, of Israel at that time, they heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Now, the John refers to John the Baptist here, who was Jesus' forerunner and prepared the way for Jesus by preaching repentance. Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea. Jesus left the area around Jerusalem, Judea. And he departed again for Galilee. Now, Galilee is his home area. This is where Jesus is from. This is where most of the disciples are from. So they're going back home. Nothing uncomfortable here so far. But here's where it becomes uncomfortable, at least for the disciples. Verse 4, and he had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. Now, for you and I today, removed from that culture, uh, we wouldn't understand anything that's uncomfortable about that. We'd just say, well, you know, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. The quickest way to get to Galilee was go straight north from Jerusalem, go up to Samaria. We wouldn't understand this was not done. This was not done. Jewish people would go way out of their way over to the Jordan Valley and go up that way and then come across to Galilee rather than to go through Samaria. Why was that? 800 years of hatred. 800 years years of hatred between the people of Samaria and the Jews. How did that start? We know the exact year it started from history. 
722 B.C. 722 B.C. What happened? Israel was invaded by the Assyrian Empire. Assyria being the area of modern-day Iraq. They were the world-dominating empire at the time. They descended into the coastal plain near the Mediterranean Sea. They came to vanquish and to conquer, and they overwhelmed the ten northern tribes of Israel. Took them captive and carried them away into slavery, only leaving the two southern tribes remaining. Ten of the twelve tribes carried off into slavery. The Assyrians left a few people to take care of the land, but then they did something they often did in conquered territories. Here's what happened. They brought in other people they had conquered, brought them into the land of Israel, and required them to intermarry with the people left behind. Breaking down all traditions, all opposition that might lead to revolt. And so here we have remnants of the ten tribes of Israel intermarrying with these people who've been brought in, foreigners, slaves. And what happens is over a period of time, a, a people called the Samaritans, descendants of these, they're called Samaritans. And the Jewish people, listen carefully, the Jewish people consider them half-breeds. They consider them even maybe worse than the pagans because they still called themselves faithful to Moses. As a matter of fact, the Samaritans would only accept the five books of Moses. They didn't accept all the rest of the Jewish scriptures. The Samaritans also said that they were descendants. They were the real descendants of Jacob, and they were descendants of his favorite son, Joseph. There was such hatred between these two people that the Samaritans, listen carefully, they actually built a rival temple in Samaria to rival the temple in Jerusalem. And the Jews would not put up with that. So in 170 B.C., that is 200 years before Jesus made this journey, the Jews invaded Samaria and tore down their temple under their high priest at that time, a man named John Hycranus. These people hated each other, and they had been taught carefully taught over the years to hate each other. They had no dealings whatsoever. And now Jesus wants to walk right through that territory. It's uncomfortable. It says that Jesus must do this. It means he was under an inner compulsion to do this. Why? Because there was someone he needed to see. He had an appointment. No one else knew about. And he had to keep that appointment. And friends, that's where this conversation begins. And now it's not just uncomfortable, it's downright unacceptable. 
What happens? Verse 5. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field, field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now remember, the Samaritans think they are descendants from Jacob and of the special son Joseph. So he's right here in the epicenter of Samaritan life and religion. And Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, which means it's noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now this, this is unacceptable in Jewish life. Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. And a Jewish rabbi, according to the laws of the time, was not even to speak to a woman in public. Some of the rabbis said that they shouldn't even speak to their wife in public. Now here is Jesus, a rabbi, not just speaking to a woman in public, but he's speaking to a Samaritan woman in public. He's initiating the conversation. This is unacceptable. Every cultural moray says, you don't do this. Every taboo of the culture of the Samaritans and the Jews. So you don't do this. This is a wall that should not be crossed. And Jesus didn't care one bit. Because he was not breaking any laws. Only man-made laws that had no basis in God's truth. Laws of hatred and animosity and racism. They meant nothing to Jesus. So he comes, and it's interesting. He actually starts the conversation, and notice how he starts the conversation. He puts himself dependent on the woman. Could I have a drink of water? Now the woman is amazed. She is amazed. Verse 9, she's amazed, but... She, She's a little ticked off. Verse 9, the woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealing with Samaria. <laughs> Jesus is reaching across. He's extending a relationship Figuratively speaking, this woman cuts it off. She goes right back to the divide. She goes right back to the hatred, right back to how different they are. How is it that you, a Jew, ask of me, a Samaritan, for a drink? Well, Jesus has initiated this conversation. A lot of people might say, well, that's the end of that. Not with Jesus. Because he's brought up the issue of water. He's asked for water. She speaks about water. He says, okay, we're going to talk about water. Verse 10, Jesus responds to her 
rebuke. Verse 10, if you knew, Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God. That's the first time in the New Testament there is a reference made that God has a gift for people. If you knew the gift of God and if you knew who it is saying, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would have given you living waters. Jesus takes the conversation that's about water. And he says, if you knew the gift of God, so what does he do? He brings a message of a gift, something God has that he will give to you. And if you knew who it was offering you this gift, then you would ask him and he would give you this gift which would be living water in your soul. There's the heart of the conversation. God has a gift for you. If you know the one who can give you this gift and if you will ask him, he will give you this gift and it'll be eternal living water to your soul. Oh, Jesus has set this up. That's the conversation he has with everybody. That's the conversation he's having this morning in this room. If you only knew the gift God has for you. If you knew my voice. And who I am and what I'm offering you, all you would have to do is ask. And I would give it to you. Well, the woman, she's got a little attitude to her. She's a little bit irritated now. The woman said to him, sir... You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Now she goes right back to this race and religion thing. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Let's translate that. Who do you think you are? What? Who do you think you are? Jesus keeps talking about water. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Now, there's something here Jesus says. It doesn't come across in our English translation as clearly, listen carefully. Jesus said, everyone who is drinking this water will be thirsty again. Present tense, continuous. Whoever is drinking from this water, the water in this well, whoever comes here and comes here and comes here and drinks and drinks and drinks will still be thirsty again. 
But then he says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, and the word drinks there means drinks one time. Whoever drinks one time of the water that I will give him, he will never be thirsty again. In fact, the water that I give him will become in him a spring, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus said everybody that comes here is going to drink and drink and drink and they're still going to be thirsty, but whoever drinks one time of the water I give, well, they themselves are going to become an artesian well with the water of life springing up in them. Well, this woman, she's got some attitude. But she's also just a little bit interested. Because it's the first time. What did Jesus say you need to do? You need to ask. And she's not there yet. She's still not not getting this. But she feels there's. There's something I wish I had that was like that. And she expresses it this way. Verse 15. Sir, give me this water so I'll not have to be thirsty or to come here to draw water. And it's sort of like she's gone to, oh, yeah. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, give me some of that stuff. But she's feeling. First time she's Admitting, yeah, I wish. Then Jesus does something. It's the first time she's admitted to being thirsty, but he has to show her how thirsty she is. Oh, no, she just can't admit that, oh, I'd be nice. She's got to feel it. Because it's those who really are thirsty for the living water. People who are really thirsty, that their thirst is quenched. And they have to feel how thirsty and dry they are. And so Jesus has got to get her there. And he gets her there with one little statement. But it does exactly what's necessary. Jesus says to her in verse 16. Go call your husband and come here. Go call your husband. If there were sound effects in this conversation right then is when you would hear boing. Because Jesus has touched a nerve. The woman quickly says, I have no husband. And then sound effects, not boing. But here comes the mic drop boom. Verse 17. You're right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you said is true. What in the world is Jesus doing here? What? What's he doing? 
You don't even know this lady. What are you doing here? She has to know how thirsty she is. She has to feel it. She's empty. She's empty like her jar. There's a reason she's come at high noon. Women didn't come at the middle of the day to get water. They came early in the morning to get the water for the household. And they would all draw the well to get the water together. All the women would. And they would share one another while they were drawing from the well. But this woman doesn't come early. She comes in the middle of the day while nobody is there. Why? Because if she comes in the middle of the Early in the morning, she'll know exactly what she's experienced all these years. More abuse. More abuse. That's all she's known in her life. You need to make sure you understand this. She has been used and abused all her life. The only way she can have some security is with a man. And that culture without a husband, without a covering, without a husband's family, you are destitute. You're without care. And this woman five times has given her pledge to a man. Five times a man has pledged his love to her. Five times a man has betrayed her and simply said to her, you're divorced. That's all he had to say. You're divorced. I don't want you. Get out of here. And now she's come to the point having to have someone that can care for her and provide for her. She's living in a relationship she knows is not right. She's been used and abused. And she's empty. And she's alone. That's what's going on here. Now this conversation has suddenly become way too personal for this woman. And this... What do you do when, the, when a conversation's uncomfortable? What do you do? You change the subject. And so she changes the subject and goes right back to what divides her and her and Jesus. Oh, he's a prophet. He's a prophet, but he's a, he's a Jewish prophet. And he's opening my heart up to me and he's telling things about me. And I'm not ready to hear this, so I'm going to back. Let's talk about religion. Yeah, let's, let's talk about how we're different. Verse 19, the woman said, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. And you might want to put there, no kidding. <laughs> I, I perceive you're a prophet. Uh, our, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And, but you, you, you Jews, you say only in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Here she is. Change the subject. Let's argue religion. Let's talk about what's different between us. I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. We disagree over this religion stuff. Let's just stop this right here. Jesus isn't having it. He says, you want to talk about worship? Okay, let's talk about worship. Jesus responds, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. What's Jesus saying? It's not about where you worship 
said, I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about where you go to temple, where you go to ritual. I'm not talking about Jerusalem. I'm not talking about Samaria. I'm not talking, we could say, about Knoxville, Tennessee, or West Park Baptist Church, or any other church. It's not where you go. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about living water. And that living water comes from worship. And that's the worship of the Father. You don't box the Father in with your man-made labels of religion. He's the Father. And you are got to understand it's not Jerusalem. It's not Samaria. It's worshiping the Father. That's who we worship. And he says... We worship the Father. Verse 21, you worship what you don't know. You don't know the Father. We know what we worship. Salvation is from the Jews. There is only one true God. It's Jehovah God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and yes, the God of Jacob. He is the God, and he is the one who's brought salvation through him, through his people Israel. It's come the promises and the prophets and all the covenants. But then he goes on. But the hour is coming and is now here. The hour has arrived when true worshipers will worship the Father. Not where they worship him in Jerusalem or Samaria, but how they worship him in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You see, Jesus is cutting away that religious covering. He's cutting away, dodging, arguing religion. He's saying it's not where. It's who and it's how you worship him. You must worship the Father in spirit, little s, not Holy Spirit. That's our spirit. And you must worship him in truth. You must worship God for who he is. Not the God you've made him to be. Not man-made God, but eternal God. Worshiping him in spirit and truth. That's the living water I'm talking about. What is worship? I'll tell you what worship is. And you do not worship until this happens. And you don't have to be in church for it to happen. Worship is happening anytime, any place, when all you are in your spirit is responding to all he is. That's worship. When all you are is responding to all he is, that's worship. That's worship. Finally, this woman gives up with the arguing. She gives up with the religious discussion. She gives up with the racial baiting back and forth because now in her heart is the only hope she's ever had for years. She's not found satisfaction in this Samaritan religion. She's not found any peace in all these relationships. 
The only hope she has is this, verse 25. I know that Messiah is coming. I don't understand everything about Judaism. I don't understand everything about Samaritanism. But I do know both Jews and Samaritans say there's a Messiah coming. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. See, her hope is she knows and is admitting, my hope is not in religion. My hope is not in a place. My hope really is in a person, Messiah. And then the moment has come. What a moment. Jesus looks at this Samaritan woman with the agony in her face, used up, angry and bitter. But now her heart is open and he says, I who speak to you am he. The one you're looking for, that's who you're looking at. And the one you're talking about is the one you're talking to. I am he. This is the first time Jesus has looked someone in the eye and said, I am the Messiah. And who was that person? One of Jesus' relatives? One of his disciples? A religious leader in Jerusalem? A power broker in politics? No. A woman from another race, another religion. A woman used up and abused by people. A woman so thirsty and dry and so angry and so bitter. A woman who had no hope. But Jesus loved her. And he revealed himself to her. Of all the times for the disciples not to come back with lunch. This is the time. No, not now. Not now. Jesus hasn't given the invitation. I mean, he's got to close the deal here. No, 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 no. Not now. About this time. Lord, here's lunch. That woman doesn't need the invitation. Hearing Jesus say that, knowing what she's experienced, by the grace of God, she knows this is him. And her heart is filled with that knowledge of Jesus. And she leaves that empty water pot, which symbolizes the empty life that she has lived up till this moment. And now she is full and overflowing with the knowledge of who she's met. And in one moment, she becomes a missionary. She doesn't go to seminary, Bible college, doesn't take a class, doesn't have a gospel track. But she knows who Jesus is, and she goes, runs, and tells people, come see this man who told me everything I ever did. Oh, that got their attention. This couldn't be the Messiah, could it? And those men 
They come running. See, who is this guy? While back at the well, come on, Jesus, have something to eat. Hey, this is important. I've already had something to eat. You don't even understand. My lunch has been to do the will of my father. He looks at the bread and he says, don't you say it's yet four months until harvest comes? And then with a sweep of his hand, he says, I say, lift up your eyes. Look on these hills. The harvest is already ready. What's happening? These Samaritans are running down the hillside. They're running to see him. They've got their white turbans on. That's what the Samaritan men wore. And so they're coming down the hillside. Their white heads bobbing, bobbing. Those turbans bobbing. They look like wheat moving in the wind. And Jesus says, there is the harvest. There's the harvest. Yeah, those guys of another race, another religion. People over there, people that you've never cared for, your ancestors haven't cared for, people that been, you've been divided from for the last 800 years, that's my harvest and you're my workers to go into the field. That's what I've just done. The Samaritans begged him to stay two more days. And he did. And then you've got to love these Samaritan guys. Oh, they can't admit that a woman has evangelized them. Because they end up saying, now we believe, not because you told us. No, no. And women get this, right? Not because you told us. But now we know that he is the Savior of the world. Not the Savior of the Samaritans. Not the Savior of the Jews. The Savior of the world. And how is the world saved? One person at a time. One conversation at a time. One talk with Jesus. Jesus has walked this room this morning. And you know what he said? If you knew. He's been saying this. Some of you have heard him. If you knew the gift of God. The gift of God. And who it is that is speaking to you. If you'll hear me. This is, this is more than your conscience. This is my voice. If you understand I have a gift for you and you know who I am, if you will ask of me, I will give you eternal life. I'll give you eternal life. Now, friend, we're, we're sitting by the well. Jesus is here. He has the gift. He's speaking to you. Will you ask him? Will you ask him?